What's up, Llama listeners? Joe here, and I'm excited to announce our partnership with Blazing Star Barbecue. Blazing Star Barbecue is a veteran-owned business owned and operated by Mike Starr, a veteran of over 20 years of military service and a fantastic member of the Llama family. Through his amazing rubs and sauces, Mike is devoted to bringing unique flavors from his world travels to your backyard. And I got to tell you, I love me some Blazing Star Barbecue, especially the Reaper and brand new Scorpion rubs. I absolutely put them on everything, and they pretty much have rendered the rest of my spice cabinet obsolete. Check them out at BlazingStarBarbecue.com and Blazing Star Barbecue on all social media platforms and get your sauces and rubs today. We promise you won't be disappointed. You know, most people go through life aiming at nothing and hit it with amazing accuracy. And they find themselves just feeling stuck in a rut, wondering if this is all there is. And I'm here to tell you, no, it is not. And life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut. So check out beyondtherut.com and listen to episodes of other people who are also feeling stuck in a rut, asking themselves the same questions you are around their faith, their family, their fitness, their finances, and just their outlook on future possibility. And there, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired to make your own path and live life beyond the rut so again go check out beyondtherut.com where you can find blog posts and podcast episodes as well as some tools to help you design the targets you wish to hit in life in those five f's faith family fitness finances and future possibility because again life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut now go check it out beyond the rut it's yours the Llama Lounge is a proud member of the Lima Charlie Network. Live, learning, leadership, the Llama Lounge. Yo, welcome back to the Lamba Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. This is Joe Bogdan, and I have been looking forward to having this guest in the lounge with me today ever since I first met him, Yuji Moore. What's up, Yuji? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, uh, GC. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's absolutely an honor for uh, for me to have you on. And, you know, go ahead and share. Yuji is a non-commissioned officer in the United States Space Force who's in charge of a space control intelligence section where he leads the integration of intelligence-driven analysis for advanced training in order to create realistic training scenarios for 172 space combat crew operators. Wow, that's a lot, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds cool, right? <laughs> I know, it, it does. It does. I mean, it, it does sound really cool. And I think you might be the first person we've had on the show from the Space Force. So how cool is that? Represent. Guardians <laughs> leading the way. Semper Super. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And, you know, um, I've been super excited to have you on because when I first met you, you were on a panel just a couple of weeks ago at the uh, Air Force Sergeant Association uh, heads, and Todd Simmons was was uh, was moderating the panel, and you were up there in front of twenty two hundred people. How what, how did you feel about that? Well, let me tell you, that was a uh, completely freestyling off the top, off the dome. That's how uh, Chief Simmons wanted it. It was specific request. We had no idea, so everything that was said was purely from the heart. And with that being said, if you ask me to repeat anything that I've said there. Uh, it might not happen. I was blacking out, like I said, in front of <laughs> 2,200 people, but 
you know, I said what my heart meant and that met the intent of what we're trying to do up there. Yeah. And you know, that means a lot because that's one of the big reasons why I wanted to have you on because you carried yourself in a way, man, I, the best way I could describe it is an old soul. You know, I, don't, I don't know how old you are, but the maturity that you exuded on that stage amongst some of your peers, um, to me, honestly, I, I'll just be understand, Frank, you seem like you were above your peers in a lot of ways when you're just the way you carried yourself and some of the um, some of the ways you were even able to spin some of the um, comments that your peers might have made or the question that Chief Simmons might have asked. Um, you did it in such a positive and level headed way that, uh, man, I was highly impressed. I was highly impressed. Oh, thank you about that, sir. Yeah. So now that we have you on, man, just a couple of questions I'm going to ask you. The first one is the one that we like to start off with now in, in this new season of the Lama Lounge is what is the best thing that's happened to you so far this week? Best thing. Well, uh, let me just start it off with it's been something that's been happening for a couple of weeks, but it really uh, reached a conclusion this week. Um, uh, I just became an NCO in the first week of July. So I had some time to kind of get used to that role, supervised two of my troops. Uh, one of my troops uh, um, expressed to me that he would like to voluntarily separate. And that was just one of the things about being an NCO is whether or not I necessarily agree with that. It's my role. I'm charged with making sure that you know, I take care of my people as best as possible and support their goals, you know, whether or not I agree with it. I'm looking at what is best for that guardian. So as we went through that process, absolutely no one understood what or how to get it done. We didn't even know what Space Force voluntary separation looks like. Mm. Um, we He just got that email back after helping them through that process that they were able to grant it to him. And he'll be leaving in the first week of January. Super ecstatic. Uh, he's going to be able to go home, be close to his mother, and kind of handle that situation that he uh, put within his package that he needed to get out for. But just to see him be extremely happy and motivated to move forward and, and be able to provide that with him, that being one of my first experiences as an NCO is probably the highlight of the week so far. Man, that, that's fantastic. And I like the way that you, you know, you, you painted that picture because there's going to be things that we don't necessarily agree with, but are still somehow the best for our people. And whether that's an airman or a guardian, I think that's really important that, you know, as, as a supervisor, you get that experience early so uh, you can help navigate through, because I think you're probably already uh, discovering, especially in the Space Force, there's a lot of gray area when it comes oh, to yeah. leading people. <laughs> oh, yes. We're just building the, the rocket as it's flying. That's, that's what they say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like you guys definitely are. And there's a lot of positivity that comes with that because you get to, you know, change the game in a lot of ways, but then there's sometimes you're like, what do we do with our hands? I imagine. Oh yeah. Chief Toberman said it best at the AFSA PEDS. He referred to us in the space where it's working a startup company. So it definitely takes a lot of faith. We're absolutely growing at light speed though, right? Because the first little, the most recent time a branch was stood up was roughly 75 years ago. So mm-hmm. now we're just hit the ground running, matching that fast paced environment that Guardians operate in now. So we're, we're working hard. Very cool. So, hey, Yuji, you know, we, we, this is a question that we ask everybody as well. Because we've learned that we can um, gain a lot of a lot of lessons from the experiences and even the, the the wisdom and perspectives of others. So, you know, you being on the show for the first time, tell us how did Yuji Moore become the man he is today? All right, cool. So, still becoming, right? Always growing. This isn't the final form. We're still evolving. But I was born a very very long time ago in 1999 whoa uh yeah yuji moore uh half black half japanese my father is a black he was a marine for about uh, one term did military police uh, met my mom in tokyo and uh i'm definitely the the youngest though so that, that that wasn't the start of me my sister was born first in tokyo my brother was born in hawaii and i was born in uh, north las vegas nevada 
Uh, being the youngest, there's a nine-year age gap between myself and my sister and seven between myself and my brother. Um, so with that being said, I think that definitely helped me. I learned at a very young age to kind of sit back and kind of learn, right? Because they were able to kind of go through all the different things and stages in life first. I was able to see their mistakes, lessons learned. And that that's just kind of where I garnered most of my experience now. It's just like, hey, there's people that are living. They've lived before you. They've gone through all these other things. Maybe you potentially so you don't even have to, you know, if it's a negative thing and you just learn all that and it helps you grow a lot as well. But um, just to kind of get back to your original question, um, grew up in North Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, my high school years, I spent four years in the Air Force JROTC. And that's kind of that was a very formulative time as well with uh, necessarily they say the JROTC is a recruiting tool, but. I mean, they definitely got me there. I loved everything mm -hmm. about it. Brother and sister both served in the army and those two were like, join the air force as well. So, <laughs> um, super nerd, didn't play any sports in high school, loved video games, but, um, still tried to take care of myself and looking at the air force. I'm like, what is the closest thing I can do to be to the mission and not destroy my joints by being an operator? Uh, and little known fact, I don't know how to swim either. So I don't think I'd make it anyway, but, uh, <laughs> So I looked at uh, operations intelligence, which it was called at the time, or a one to know. That was the AFSC, uh, now all source intelligence analyst. Um, I was able to do my James Bond stuff. And after that, uh, 2018, uh, July 2nd, I shipped off the basic military training. Um, very fun time. I was able to serve as a dorm chief there. Huge culture shock as well, right? Because I grew up in that one location my whole life. Now just like, hey, you're 18 years old. Uh, lead this flight of about 40 to 50 trainees to graduation. Um, so that was a very good experience for me as well. Moving on to Goodfellow in tech school, training 110 days of all sorts intelligence analyst training. And then finally, I ended up at my first duty station of Shaw Air Force Base, South Carolina, where I did MQ-9 unit support as an Intel Ops uh, Pro Supervisor, watching those four combat lines operate. Uh, very interesting time. Uh, that was the time of the counterinsurgency of uh, war on terror was able to see some things in the op floor and kind of see that transition to near peer conflict as well and i met my wife in south carolina as well my lovely wife ella um she was uh, attending school at the time got her de degree in psychology so maybe that's something we could definitely talk about later because i love emotional intelligence and i just love that whole concept of of people and uh now i'm currently here i got here in january in peterson space force base where i serve at the fourth electromagnetic warfare squadron so that's a little bit about me, uh, mm. 20, 22 years old, turning 23 October, but an old soul, apparently. I yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the reason why, and thank you for sharing your story. The reason why I, I said that, you know, that old soul thing is because uh, I definitely think that, you know, you carry yourself with the level of maturity that most people that are your age don't. And I, I share this a lot, very often uh, at maybe like whatever there's an ALS graduation, if I'm giving a speech out there or wherever, like 22 year old counterparts are in the civilian community don't have the level of responsibility that you do. That, that our airmen and guardians have not typically right it's not it's not very common right um 22 year olds even when you first come in let's let's talk about when you first came in 18 year olds um what are they typically doing um if they're not going to college they might be working some job somewhere while they're trying to figure out their life and um and you're going through all of this training and then you started working on mq9 reapers like just thinking about you know yeah. I mean, like seeing what they're mm -hmm. doing over there and just hearing uh, from the intel perspective i mean that's pretty sweet but there's a lot of uh responsibility that comes with that right and you carry it very well thank you there's a lot um especially working that remotely piloted mission we're talking about you know combat fatigue and just 
uh, different things about like PTSD as well, you know, or, or combat stress. We have a, uh, in, in a shop human resource team that kind of was able to deal with the stresses. But I mean, you have 18, 19 year olds operating the sensors on these systems. I mean, ultimately, right. What we do in the military, we kill people and they've, you know, have like 30, 30 strikes and things like that. And you're charging these young teenagers, America's finest to, to do these things. And so, you know, I've seen some things, they've seen some things as well. And that's a very sobering experience. And I think, you know, ultimately, a lot of the times is the challenges and sometimes maybe even the traumas cause people to mature very fast. Yeah. And, and you know, that trauma is a big part of it. I think a lot of people don't realize what kind of um, what kind of trauma, what kind of distress it puts on a person that's, you know, looking at that kind of stuff, even if they're thousands of miles away from the mm -hmm. actual target. Right. And I think that's something that we, we need to keep continue to keep an eye on. Sure. Yeah. So, hey, tell us. So, you, you were over at Shaw, and then you, at some point, you transitioned right to the Space Force. What did that look like? So, we get the, uh, I got that awesome email from, uh, pretty sure it was my parents at the time. That's like, mm -hmm. hey, we're looking for these career fields to transfer over. And uh, at that time, it was uh, honestly not the easiest decision. Um, I put the application and it was just, um, there was no narrative or anything like that. I needed a commander's recommendation. I was the only one that necessarily raised my hand for this, but I was just thinking, um, I wanted to try something new. And this is the exact mindset that actually got me to Shaw because I had an assignment originally while I was in tech school to go to Creech Air Force Base, Nevada, mm. which was ultimately to go back to my hometown. And while that's great, I, I didn't want to find myself kind of going back to that comfort, the intoxicating comfort of kind of just going back home and getting caught there. So they told me a new unit was standing up in South Carolina, Shaw Air Force Base. I mm -hmm. traded orders with someone to go to South Carolina. Some people might call me crazy for trading up Las Vegas for that, but uh, <laughs> I did that and I got that new experience. So when the Space Force came back up again, it was a lot of unknowns. So I really had to take that leap of faith. Now, keep in mind, after putting this application in, it was about roughly six months until I actually got the a notification saying I was accepted. And between that time frame, a lot of things changed, you know, and at that time, I was like, man, it's been really long. And I actually kind of had a change of heart where I wanted to go support AFSOC mm -hmm. um, and, and do like that type of unit support, like down at Fort Bragg. But um. Luckily, I had some really good mentors in my corner. They uh, had Chief Master Sergeant Drake in the Space Force give me a call and address my questions and concerns. And I just thought from that point forward, stability, opportunities, being a part of the startup company, the the apple of the of the armed services. Mm -hmm. um, that's definitely why I headed over there. So it was a good yeah. decision so far. I love it. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that you made that decision. That you're really liking it. Um, I think that. These opportunities, you said it wasn't an easy decision to make. Well, I think that anything worth doing oftentimes <laughs> is not <laughs> an easy decision to make, right? Yes. Uh, so you've been in Space Force for a little bit now, right? So, yes. you know, this this is a question that's almost been dialed in, that, that was uh, messaged in from a, a great friend of mine and somebody that you also know, uh, Chief Master Sergeant Avi Scott. And okay. uh, he I asked him, I was like, hey, man, if there was a question that uh, I should ask, <laughs> Yuji, when he's on the podcast, you know, what would you want him to answer? And he said, what program or process within the Space Force, you know, with the time that you've been in, wh wh which program or process would you change? Hmm. All right. Well, I would say promotions, but they've done a good job of adapting that to the force size. Um, definitely, I think we can look at... Um, not necessarily PME, but the way that we deliberately develop our junior enlisted just with the force structure and how now with the uncertainty of the future, looking at all the potential separations of our middle tier of NCOs, um, 
and just the space force being very ops heavy as well. Um, a lot of our junior enlisted are, are being charged to take charge of these leadership roles, whether it's on the ops floors, different crews and things like that. E2, E3, you see it all the time. Um, I was at E3 in charge of the ops floor of seven Intel analysts. Um, they, the fact that I think we kind of do a disservice of not providing those different PMEs to junior enlisted, uh, specifically speaking about ALS, um, you know, the mission is not going to wait for their junior enlisted airmen to go to ALS. They're not going to wait for these different PMEs. If they are needed to step up, they're going to be asked to step up. And I think that we need to do a better job of making sure they're equipped at any time to do that because emotional intelligence and these awesome great things that we learn in ALS and everyone in my class in ALS agreed that it was extremely helpful and they wish they knew before, they, they should not be limited by rank or having a line number because everyone grows at a different rate as well, right? So. That's just one thing I definitely want to look at potentially. Yeah, that's a good feedback. And I think, you know, as big organizations, even though Space Force isn't huge, um, it's tough to try to balance out when you continue the investment right early mm -hmm. on. And and because uh, in the grand scheme of things, it ends up being a limitation of resources, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so it's extremely tough. But we realize that, you know, against our near-peer adversaries, what really is the difference, it's not just our cool weapons. Right. Mm -hmm. It's really the, the strength of our enlisted force, our abilities to be able to do things that other enlisted uh, forces and other nations aren't able to do, you know, through our training and development and intentional growth in those things. So it's something that we got to keep on getting after. And it's tough. You know, we talk about the offset strategies and and what uh, to me, man, the, the actual offset is us. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're the difference, you know, and it's not to pat ourselves on the back. It's something that we just got to remember that we got to keep doing because our near-peer adversaries don't have the skill sets that we have as an enlisted force. Oh, yeah, they definitely look up to us and, and really try to emulate that structure. I mean, even looking at the, the future fight, um, we necessarily, we've been out of the game for a couple of decades, right? Kind of focusing on that counterinsurgency and things like that. And we really have to kind of look towards to, Ukraine right now and what they're doing with their military and because they're going to be the most experienced at this point, you know, competing with an adversary like that. And um, I remember Chief uh, Chief Bass, she, you know, had that recent visit with all the senior enlisted leaders and mm -hmm. pretty much the Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force of Ukraine really highlighting the importance of his NCO Corps. And if that's not, uh, you know, a sign for us to really focus on that and take a look at our NCOs and make sure they're good to go, then I don't know what is because they're there and they're in a fight right now. And we we'll be there one day potentially. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it does seem inevitable in many ways. Right. But, um, uh, hopefully we can deter it, but we got to be ready for whatever happens. And, you know, I was just, uh, listening to a book called the end is always near. I don't know if you've <laughs> ever heard of it. It's, uh, it's by a guy named Dan Carlin, who's just a huge history buff. Right. And he talks about how we've always been close to the end, you know what I mean? Like throughout the <laughs> century, it goes all the way back to, the beginning of time and how we're always just like one step or one decision away and we're always kind of teetering <laughs> at that edge right and right. but uh, something that, that you said that kind of um, brought that book up to me in my mind was that you know about we really haven't been in a huge war for a while we've had many conflicts but not like a, a war of this magnitude that you know we may need to prepare for so that that growth of our people our development yeah i'm, I'm grateful that you brought that up and i know uh, chief scott's going to be happy to hear about that since he is uh my counterpart over in the space force as a uh, chief of enlisted force development so pretty cool awesome love chief scott <laughs> yeah cool. yeah <laughs> so when you talk about that development let's dig into that a little bit more you, you brought up emotional intelligence 
what is it about emotional intelligence that you found so valuable and what, what can we do better in that realm to arm our NCOs to be able to take care of the mission and take care of our people? Well, uh, emotional intelligence, I mean, I, I kind of brought this up at the panel, but while we have all these great assets and, you know, we're in a profession of people and people will remember how you feel and human beings are just really based on how they feel and emotions and no matter you know how cool the mission is if they're in an environment where it's toxic they're not comfortable they're not feeling valued accepted um it's not going to be conducive at all to their work and i think that's one of the reasons why a lot of our guardians we came together and established those four c's of of connection being a really huge one you know when you're when you have people claiming that you know you're part of a team we're a family in this unit we got to make sure that people ultimately feel that and a lot of disconnect i think i think is uh, people having a lack of empathy right if mm -hmm. you're a leader um understanding that other people's stresses are all felt on a different level um i had a first sergeant tell me a great story once about how he had a troop come into his office and he was crying because um his him and his wife got in an argument because she wouldn't let him play mario kart mm. and he was crying and saying that they've never argued before and that was ultimately the ending of their of their marriage he thought you know and he said he really had to take a step back and he was like wow this guy's really crying because his wife didn't play mario kart but ultimately understand that based off of his emotions and his situation that that his world was rocked at that time so you know, he had that talk with that, uh, that person, you know, leveraged some resources and that, that person came back and said that the first sergeant saved his marriage. And it's just those times of being able to take a step back and really understand things and also understand that everyone speaks differently. Um, a lot of the times I have a uh, kind of fellow NCOs, we have these different discussions. And one of the questions is like, how do you know if you're guardian or airman trusts you like what does trust look like right because we're we're all charged as ncos the 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 space force the air force trusts you and they place that trust in you and now these troops are playing trust in you and i think that one of the biggest indicators is just like any other relationship is communication right if you're in a marriage and your partner all of a sudden stops expressing kind of like maybe some troubles or not talking at all. That doesn't mean there's nothing going on, but mm -hmm. a lack of communication is a big red flag. And I think that when you have a troop, a guardian airman come into your office and kind of confide at you, at that point, you should understand that there is trust there when they're coming to these issues. They're not going to come talk to you if they don't think you can get anything done about it. You know, it's just more about being, it's more than being an open ear. And it's kind of like the intelligence field, right? We have a thing called actionable intelligence. Mm -hmm. It's something that's relevant, it's timely, and you could do something with it. And when you have a subordinate come to you and provide you actionable information, I think it is your job as a supervisor to take deliberate action, right? You have actionable information, let's do something with it. Um, so it's, so it's not a matter of having someone come up to you and tell you a goal and be like, hey, that's cool, I'm rooting for you. But it's more so doing something with it and saying, hey, I might not know entirely the process for you to achieve this goal, but we're going to go find out together and we're going to push you towards that goal. So all, all about action. It's not just about being an open ear too. So 
Yeah. I don't know. I kind of went off on a tangent there, but No, no. emotional intelligence <laughs> is Yeah. huge. <laughs> Yeah, you brought up a lot of great points. And it even goes back to what you first talked about. Um, you know, you're helping your your subordinate when they wanted to separate, you know, and, and I think a lot of leaders get stuck in this thing. It was like, well, I wouldn't want to separate, and I don't think you should. So uh, so we start projecting our own feelings and thoughts on it, and we disregard the feelings and perspectives and thoughts of the person, right? And just like what you said when um You know, that first sergeant was talking about the Mario Kart incident. You know, it's easy for any of us to be like, dude, Mario Kart? Mm-hmm. Your 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 relationships over over Mario Kart, you know? And um <laughs> yeah. and sometimes I think that comes with a lot of experience because I remember uh when I was all the way up to about when I was a tech sergeant, I was not Um, nearly as emotional intelligent as you are by the time I was a tech sergeant. I was an executor and I just got stuff done. And um, what happened
Mm-hmm. I mean, the the whole mastery of self. That's kind of when you asked me initially how I'm the person I am today. I don't. You're never just one person. You know, always that working project or process, and you're just you're just, you're kind of like a malleable being. I'm getting like really like freaking philosophical philosophical <laughs> and deep, but like you're just a malleable being because mm-hmm. when we begin to look look at saying like, oh, how are you the person you are today? Mm-hmm. We're ultimately running into the trouble as well as people that had trouble past as well, kind of getting caught. And, and letting the things that were negative in their past define them because we, we look at focusing like on these good things, but everyone didn't really have that great up, upbringing and there's a lot of different challenges and they get caught in that old past of themselves. You know, you're not one person and the past doesn't define you. You're always moving forward. And that's why I just love the idea of always growing. I mean, I, I've heard something alarming the other day. I've heard a, someone a little bit more of a senior officer be like, man, I've hit my cap. Like verbatim, I've hit my cap of everything I could learn at this point. I'm just cruising. I, I've learned everything. And I'm like, that's a red flag there. But I mean, yeah, you, you can never stop learning. And that's what I just love. It's a great thing about being a human. We're not computers. Can't plug the USB drive back in and upload all the data. We're, we're always absorbing. I love it. You know, you know, and, and that's fun. That's funny that that person said that. I wonder how happy they are at their job, too, because, you know, uh <laughs> I love uh, Daniel Pink's work. And in his book, Drive, he talks about you have to have three major components to keep yourself motivated and happy at work, content, you know, and Mm -hmm. really overall, and really just, you know, extra productive, you know, instead of just going through the motions. And he was saying that you have to have some level of autonomy, you know, you don't want someone micromanaging you all day. Nobody likes that, right? Um, You got to have purpose, which we talk about a lot, you know, we need, Uh we need a purpose, but he also talks about the ability to reach mastery, meaning that you have, you're you're still able to get invested in, you can grow into that job because, um, you know, we found that like, if you, if you get put into a job and you know everything right away and you start, you know, <laughs> nothing's new to you anymore. You're not really growing in that job. A lot of times you get bored and you start causing other problems. Right. So <laughs> it's interesting. I wonder how that, if that person really fully believes that they've reached a level of just nirvana <laughs> when it comes to their job, <laughs> like, how, how's that, you know, how's that manifesting in his everyday life or her everyday life? Yeah. That's, um, that's one of the challenges I'd say personally, of being an NCO is that we always, you know, one of the lines in the little brown book is being a technical expert at the job. And it kind of makes it seem like you're the shmi, mm-hmm. you kind of know everything. But I think that also comes down to like a matter of being mindful as well, being present in the moment. Once you mm-hmm. start noticing yourself going through the motions, I think that's really a good chance to kind of stop and self-reflect. And it's very important as well to keep your subordinates out of that motion. Cause I noticed um, a lot of times when you're in different career fields, maybe speaking with the, a lot of the medical personnel, they said that the issues they had with their people was not really seeing the bigger picture and the mm-hmm. scope and understanding their impact that they're, you know, force enablers, you know, and supporting practically every single job in the military. Um, just be mindful and, and really understand the bigger picture that, that, that helps a lot to people's motivation and, and I'm moving forward for that. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you, coming from the three career fields in the support world, it is it is a lot harder sometimes to connect. Some jobs easier mm-hmm. than others, but um, coming from you know you, you being on the ops floor, you're able to see a lot of those things. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's, it's definitely an interesting challenge for non-commissioned officers at all ranks. You know, from staff sergeant E5 all the way to E9 to to help 
just be mindful and co connect people to what the what the mission is. You know, you're flipping eggs over here. You're not just flipping <laughs> eggs, right? You're not just doing this. You're not just creating that widget. Um, there's a there's a thing behind it. So sometimes you have to get extra creative to be able to show them that. I, I definitely agree. Um, I guess one of the things as well is um, managing expectations. Um, I see a lot of people um, not, not, not stepping out of the job role, but across a all AFSCs is, um, you know, E4 to E5, mm -hmm. very rapid jump. All of a sudden it's kind of like a switch. And, you know, when you don't have peers that promote with you and things like that, all of a sudden they're calling you Sergeant Moore, you know, or things like that around people. And a lot of the times we, we, we tell NCOs that, um, you know, they're the backbone, you know, and I agree, we do a lot of work, but at the same time, you know, when I heard that information, super hype, gung ho and things like that, but you can get stressed out too trying to change the world and you need to understand sphere of influence. And that was one thing that, um, I was uh, mentored on really quick a sphere of influence. Um, we we're told, you know, when you're working in your squadron, you see these different issues pop up and you can stress yourself self out over it. So one of the things I was told was for sphere of influence, really look, uh, internally, do it the best you can for your shop, you know, be what right looks like and hopefully everyone else will follow suit, but you, you can't get caught looking too far up and forget about the people underneath you sometimes. So, yeah, that was a very good lesson for me as well as NCO. And was that, and so when did you first hear about that? When was that time-wise? Um, Spirit of influence conversation. Um, once was at my last assignment, I was still at E4, but I did have that positional authority mm -hmm. on the ops floor. Yeah. And the second time most recently was actually at AFSA PEDS. Um, mm. I had a question for Chief Toberman during the uh, Space Force conference. And, you know, um, I, my question to him was, we have, we, we really want this culture of connection. However, over the course of military history has looked a lot different right it was a lot more common for supervisors to invite their subordinates over for dinner share dinner with family have all these different barbecues and i brought up to him that now recently i've had ncos tell me that they felt that they couldn't even go out with their troops because they felt it was unprofessional like i feel like a lot of ncos now are really afraid of having a little bit closer relationships and you know, I completely disagree. You know, you could keep things professional. You know, of course, if things can't be that way, then that can't happen. But I, my question to him was, how do we really change that culture and get people to connect again, you know, mm -hmm. and, and not to be afraid? And that was pretty much his response. is like, hey, you know, if other people don't feel comfortable doing it, you know, be what right looks like. And he, he said, you don't need permission. And I, and I quote him, uh, you don't need permission to give a shit. Mm-hmm. And that, that stuck really deep with me as well. So he said, model the behavior and others will follow. Yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing a long time ago that, you know, just cause you're not there doesn't mean you're absent of all responsibility. So just mm -hmm. like feeling uncomfortable being there thinking that you're just not <laughs> part mm -hmm. of the issue, you know, that's not yeah. true. Right. You could be <laughs> at home and something goes wrong and you're like, Oh my goodness, I should have probably been there. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of things that can happen there. And I think that's the great, a great advice is to just model what right looks like, you know I mean? Like it doesn't mean nobody allowed to have a drink, but do it the correct way. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different examples out there and, and I love that. And I, I just, and the reason why I asked you when you heard that, because I think that, 
we need to do that more, right? Talk about that at earlier times. I talk about mm-hmm. this discernment, being able to discern between, you know, what you what you really care about, but you don't have much control over or influence mm-hmm. over versus, you know, what you care about and also do have some influence over. And, and you know, we don't have a, an, an infinite amount of time or energy. So we need to be able to focus on the things like, like for instance, um, I remember uh, my cousin, he used to really be into politics and he got to the point where it was just really stressing him out. He's super empathic. You know, he's just stressed out about, you know, different political things going on. And I was like, bro, you, you, you need to stop focusing so much on stuff that you have no control over. You know, you, you can vote and do what you need to do, but this whole, you know, just losing your mind and going on social media, talking about it does not help. You know, you're an echo chamber anyway. <laughs> you, you totally deleted all your friends that don't, that don't, oh that don't have goodness. to, you know what I mean? Yes. So you're in an echo chamber anyway. So what are, what are you doing? You're just like creating a, your, your own anxiety here. No. Yep. Social media rabbit hole, echo chamber. <laughs> that's another issue in its own. <laughs> yeah. I definitely think that, that you know, just, that, that's some great advice that you got early on. That's going to just totally help you. And, and it's almost to a point where amongst some circles, it's going to sound like it's cliche, but it's definitely true. Like th- this is something that I, I have to pay attention to all the time. Make sure I focus on what I can actually control, you know, within that situation. And then mm-hmm. you, you, what you'll do is you realize Covey talks about it is that your circle of influence actually start to expand. The more you focus on what you can actually influence. So, hey, Yuji, so yeah. we talked about programs, you know, that you might want to change and some of the development piece, we went into it. What do you think about our attention to leadership versus followership when it comes to, you know, just discussions on growth and development? Um, do you think it's at the right level? Do you think that we talk about leadership in a congruence with how much we talk about followership when it comes to development? Um, no, I definitely think it's, it's a little bit disproportionate and we have a tendency to throw everything under the umbrella of, of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, while followership is a little bit more prevalent on, but that's like really early, like basic military training. It's a concept that follows people throughout their career. You are never going to, well, in your, in the military career, you're never going to be the commander in chief. So with that being said, you're going to have to be a follower and, uh, understanding, you know, the roles being, the, being a better follower will help you become a better leader, understanding kind of that point of view, that role, and you'll be able to better translate kind of the requirements once you're a leader to those followers of what you need. Um, I think followership needs to be harped on a little bit more though. And uh, I think that also connects with what we were talking about earlier with the um, kind of like lead yourself, you know, master yourself and the master your craft. I mean, yeah, I think you're right too. And I'm trying to figure out how we can get a little bit more of that in there because what happens is, you know, we talk about leadership and everything, all great leadership, even to the point where we talk about toxic leadership, right? Mm-hmm. And But, you know, we don't talk about, there's also such thing as toxic followership. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I've seen it, you know, and uh, I, I've seen NCOs feel like they're better than their senior NCO boss, right? Mm-hmm. And then they start <laughs> undermining them. Right. <laughs> and, they start, and they start doing things very passively to the point where it starts creating a toxic environment within a work center. And um, those are things that I think that uh, we need to keep keep an eye on as well. When we talk about development is that we got to continue. So me as a chief master, I'm a follower still, not just mm-hmm. of the people that are uh, above me on the chain of command, but also I'm a follower, a servant, really, when it comes to everybody you know, at this point. Oh, yeah. So 
So I think that, uh, and sometimes I got to follow into that followership role behind somebody who just has happens to be more of a subject matter expert in whatever we're actually doing, regardless of what the rank is, you know, um, it would be not, it would be stupid of me not to. So I think those are things that, you know, it comes to adaptability and that we need to work harder on. No, that's really huge. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, you know, as a chief master sergeant. Yeah, you're not omniscient uh, being, you're not omniscient yeah, being, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you, yeah. you really have to leverage the knowledge mm-hmm. and the insight of the people below you to make the right decisions. I mean, you're not making blind decisions here and uh, learn uh, teaching kind of like active followership as well. Um, with the space force, one of the huge things that we've kind of harped on was we don't want robots. You know, we want creative thinkers. We want people that's going to provide that active, honest feedback um, to really meet the new complex environment. You know, we can't have people just being yes people mm-hmm. and agreeing to everything in a respectful manner, we need to have uh, both two-way dialogue between leadership and uh, subordinates. I mean, being an active follower is just as important as being a great leader. We need great followers that are able to hold us accountable. And, you know, I think a lot of times is looking at that self-leadership, you know, if you fail to hold yourself accountable, someone else will. And the latter is ultimately not the ideal most of the time. You know, you kind of got to learn to, be holding yourself accountable um, because having someone else hold you accountable is kind of like a life fest, but one day you're going to have to learn how to swim or you're going to drown. It's not going to be pretty. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's the most I really have for that, but just yeah. accountability and then that followership that you mentioned as a chief, you, you can never lose sight of, of the people because that's your most important, I mean, database of what's going on as your eyes and ears. So, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, you bring up some really good points on the followership too. And we just kind of just, you know, gave some examples of times where somebody in a higher rank or position might need to, you know, subordinate themselves to mm-hmm. somebody who knows more about the situation. And I remember uh, hearing a long time ago, have you ever flown Korea Airlines before? I don't know if you I, have in your young career yet. <laughs> I have not. That'd okay. be cool though. So Korea Airlines is probably one of the, this is, it is absolutely my favorite airline to get on, right? I mean, the service <laughs> is amazing. Uh, it's just fantastic. But um, I remember a story way back, and I think a, a couple of people have written about it. Malcolm Gladwell, I think, talked about it too in one of his books. But uh, talk about like how at one point they were the most unsafe, like they were having the most crashes, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to... Um, to, to get on that aircraft it was so bad. And of course that leads to profit loss and everything else, right? As a company, because nobody trusts your airline anymore. And um, and they started digging deep and and they realized that, you know, those times where the co-pilot knew something was wrong, but they wouldn't bring it up because culturally the pilot, you know, runs the show, they have all the authority and it's not appropriate culturally for a subordinate to bring up something's wrong. So there was stuff going wrong on the airplane and they were crashing because of a cultural issue where, where the people would, were not willing to speak up. Wow. And, and, you know, you think about it, like that's life or death right there. Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, and a lot of things that we do and, and, you know, in the professional arms can come down to something like that and wow. the subordinate needs to feel comfortable. So from a leadership perspective, we have to make people feel comfortable enough to bring that up too. Okay. Let me let me tell you about that. And I, I'm really glad you brought that up because I have a prime, prime example from my last assignment. Um, I was just an A1C, right? This is MQ9 unit support. Uh, we're sitting on a mission in, in, in CENTCOM and uh, we're kind of, we're scanning through, looking at people, uh, kind of clear compounds and things like that. And so as an intelligence analyst, I mean, E3, mm-hmm. I'm 
there for support solely, right? That's what I've been taught. I'm sitting in the, the Merc chat room. Do not speak up. There's a mission going on. Don't distract the pilots or the screener from what they're doing. However, I'm sitting there in the Merc chat room. I'm looking at the feed and the screener calls out that everyone in this compound is has been identified as hostile, even though prior the people were just looking on the feed were actually partner forces. So with that being said, um, that's definitely a conflicting information. They started to try to spin up a nine line to strike these individuals that were previously identified as friendly partner forces before, and all of a mm-hmm. sudden was changed for no reason. They're still exhibiting the same tactical movements. No signatures would indicate they're hostile. And me sitting there, you know, I'm looking left, looking right, like, you know, does anyone really see what is going on? And, and reverting back to the training, what I've been told, it, I had to make a decision whether or not to to speak up and say something or at least ask the right questions. You know, I go on the chat and I'm like, hey, um, screener, you just previously said that all these people are friendlies and they're hostile now. Are they not friendly? And he's like, and then a screener says to me, yes, they are friendly, but it is not my job to say anything about it. I'm just a mm. screener. And I'm like, all right. So, <laughs> all right, this is like some live action Tom Clancy stuff going on now. And my heart's yeah. beating behind this keyboard, trying to contact these people, type these messages out to the battle captain, team commander, things like that. Like, hey, like your screener said this, X, Y, and Z. Why are we striking them? And eventually this goes on for five minutes as the nine line keeps going forward, you know, MQ nines getting into strike position to really lay, lay down a, uh, a hellfire missile on these guys, the AGM one fourteen, And luckily with all kind of the messages and, you know, how I was speaking out, they, they called off the strike at the last second, um, with, you know, turn off the laser and things like that. And, uh, they they stated that in the chat that it was because uh, there were too many buildings in proximity. However, they were in open terrain, right? Mm. In the middle of like nowhere. And it, it kind of upset me as well because they lacked to, you know, hold themselves accountable and just say that we were wrong in a situation, you know, I guess maybe because it was an A1C or something mm. being said like that. But that whole event um, brought a lot of attention to the teaching. Like, hey, if you see something wrong, speak up. Mm-hmm. you know, have that courage. And we completely changed the MQT program, you know, got briefed up to the CFAC. And, you know, this just goes to show that regardless of where you're at, speak up, you know, if you see something, say something. And I think that did a good job for shifting the culture for us as Intel analysts. And that was definitely one of the highlights too. I mean, if not, I mean, those are going to be partner forces potentially yeah. eliminated. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's my story on that. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, that no, that's great that you shared that. Yeah, I was I was talking to a mentor of mine, General Gronsky, and he said back in Ramadi, back in uh, 2008 or so, that something very similar to that happened as well. And luckily, mm-hmm. you know, just like this, um, they didn't they didn't end up uh, taking action on it. You know, so mm-hmm. <laughs> or they would have had a lot of um, partner ca- casualties in that one too. Mm-hmm. Man, man, wow. <laughs> so sorry it's not very fun <laughs> no 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 it's not it's, it's, it's a great i mean it definitely um hits home that the the points that we were talking about there um hey let me ask you okay this is the last question on the actual discussion that that i, I definitely want to get your perspective on um before we get into a rapid fire question set all right <laughs> not like hot ones but, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this one uh is this a question? I think that senior NCOs should be asking their NCOs, right? Uh, mm-hmm. What do you expect from a senior NCO? What is it that Eugene Moore expects from a senior NCO? 
um, I expect definitely trust. Mm. Um, and I want to see trust in everyone, uh, everyone, all the NCOs included. I noticed that um, there's a tendency of when you have that, you know, that, that bright, shiny NCO, that all the tasks are really leveraged to that one. We see a lot of investment and a lot of focus on growing that one NCO when necessarily, not necessarily the weaker ones, but the ones that could also use a little bit of that mm. you know, great mentorship are kind of disregarded. We, we really focus on one good person. Like, yeah, they have potential instead of deliberately developing everyone and creating kind of their own single point of failure. Because when that NCO PCS is, you know, it's kind of like, it's all downhill. When we shouldn't, we should be building our replacements, not just investing in the first round draft pick in the NFL. We need to have the whole team be great. And so I've seen that a lot. Um, learning kind of where to take a step back. Um, it's okay to let people fail, especially NCOs, of course, within a controlled environment, right? We're not going to let the whole like squadron fall apart, but having to trust, learning kind of when to be hands off and also mentorship and sharing your experiences as the senior NCO, right? You're senior because, you know, you have that years of experience, uh, de create deliberate opportunities for dialogue and discussion. Um, within my unit, we have an NCO and senior NCO tag up every week mm. um, where we all just meet up, tag up and ask questions about mission specific, what's going on in the squadron, how to be better, and also feedback to the senior NCOs, which again, creates that 360 feedback loop. So I think creating that environment as well is, is an awesome thing to do. So if that's not being done already, boom, NCO senior, NCO tag ups every week. It's an awesome <laughs> one. It's really good. No, we, we've all loved it and enjoyed it. So yeah, solid. Yeah. And so y'all hear, y'all heard it from them. Y'all need to do some senior NCO, NCO tag ups regularly. <laughs> Sweet. Well, Hey, Yuji, thank you so much for coming on, man. This has been a great conversation and I'm pretty sure the audience totally can understand what I was saying about you being an old soul. And, uh, <laughs> and then that you, you, that you definitely have a maturity beyond your, your years, man. And I'm really grateful that you're part of our team and that you're able to continue to get after all the things that we need to get after as a team and also take care of your uh, guardians. So thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. And, uh, I learned a lot as well, just from having this dialogue with you. So thanks for letting me grow. And maybe um, there's some nuggets in here that maybe someone will enjoy as well. But really, thank you, because I learned a lot for all. So thanks. Thanks for mentoring me. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, mentorship goes both ways and in many forms. So thank you. And uh, all right. Well, I can't let you get out of here until I hit you with the life learning leadership rapid fire. All right. Just uh, four questions. And, and we call it rapid, but you don't have to be so fast about it. Okay. Just, you know, <laughs> it's really I'm going to give you four questions and then um, you however you want to interpret it, however you want to answer it. All right. All right. All right. First question. What is something you recently learned that you did not know before? Rapid fire. Huh? This isn't going to be very rapid. Um, <laughs> one thing, there will be a lot of times, no matter how locked in you think you are, you might go off the rail and lose focus. Mm. Um, you're going to need someone to kind of revector you and keep you focused. And I think that happened recently with understanding sphere of influence, mm. not letting yourself get st uh, stressed out. So Yep. Ask for feedback, ask questions and learn that no matter how focused you are, Hey, you, you will still fall off the wagon sometimes and that's fine. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Great advice. All right. Second question. If you can only do one specific workout, like a particular lift of movement, you know, of some type for the rest of your life, this is the only thing you can do. What would that be? Mm. Um, 
I'd say, oh man, this is fast. I'm gonna just give you a fast answer. Uh, ben over Rose. I love that because I feel like a beast and I do that, man. Bent over rows, you're still in some of the biceps, you're hitting some of that lower back, yeah. hitting, working the lats out. It's just the overall, it works your body out. I would say squats, but doing that for the rest of my life, I don't know. And then having tree, <laughs> tree trunk legs with like twig arms, I don't know. So, yeah, bent over rows. Love there you go. <laughs> All right. The first person that said bent over rows on this one, All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Third question. What is a recent book, article, podcast, you know, some, some type of media that you've recently consumed and you got value out of? All right. Well, I am a constant consumer uh, of the Jocko podcast. I enjoy that. Um, recently got into the Llama Leadership podcast, mm. uh, but specifically looking at book, not a huge reader, uh, you know, I was listening to your guys' stream yesterday. All you guys read like three, four books a month. Insane. <laughs> but uh, a really good book that I would recommend is that I just read was Never Mind, We'll Do It Ourselves. Hmm. And it's a book from the perspective of some RPA operators uh, kind of looking past over the last 20 years and providing. Um, it's very applicable to now. It's just about operating in a changing environment, you know, asking questions and um yeah just asking questions and like moving forward how to be kind of like that ground force like catalyst for change um which we need to do now is applicable to the space force even uh, the whole armed services in general as we go into this new environment um really good read um and it's really recent you know a lot of the leadership books you kind of go back it's like oh world war one world war two general or like colonel or something but this is like now and these people are still serving so it's a really good book uh, never mind. We'll do it ourselves. Good book. All right, cool. So yeah, I'll go ahead and put that in the show notes for people in case they want to jump on that. Yeah. All right. Last question. This is a deep question of the day. How does Yuji Moore find his harmony between life, learning, and leadership? The best, the uh, the, the the best way we can try is work life balance. That will actually never be a hundred percent balance. So I'll say the work life juggle. So um, uh, kind of as as we move into the uh remote uh, desktop anywhere era it might be a little bit hard for us to sometimes uh, separate work from home but um deliberately and mindfully you know when you get home having that time with your family uh my hobbies i, I mean I, I love playing the guitar listen to music going to the gym uh find what really speaks to you um to kind of distress right we have the the different uh, pillars of resiliency you know mental spiritual social uh physical um establishing that and under finding those when you're not really feeling at your best to really speak to about that um so yeah awesome well you got through it man you got through the gauntlet of four questions <laughs> congratulations uh, thank you <laughs> all right thank you again for coming on man and i uh, look forward to having you on again maybe a little bit later after you've uh, learned even more about uh, what you're doing and you know your roles and you continue to grow as nco how's that sound sounds good i'm just one phone call away we'll hop on right now <laughs> all right thank you so much and hey shout out to our show sponsor blazing star barbecue mike star out there bringing his flavors from his world travels to your backyard check them out blazingstarbarbecue.com the reaper is king and as always be safe stay healthy keep growing and until next time llamas out thanks for tuning in to the llama lounge podcast be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. 
And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.